Hello and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Ginny. And today we're talking about, um, oh my god, Empty Places. <laughs> oh yeah, I, <laughs> I, was like, what I keep forgetting called? the name of that one. Empty Places and the Magic Bullet. Yes. Um, so we, we have gotten to that episode of Buffy. I think this is going to be a rare episode from us. <laughs> Where, where we liked Angel more, perhaps. I, I mean, I did. feel like that might have happened. Did that happen last week? Maybe last week, too, yeah. Yeah. Buffy's no, not well, running strong on this. We liked this, parts this of the Caleb leg. stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was a couple weeks ago, but I feel like that happened. There have been like two yes. instances, so this <laughs> is one of the rare times that... <laughs> not to give the game away. Yeah, not but, to give the game away. But yeah. also more than just, oh, I like... Angel more than Buffy, which is a low bar in this instance. I think I actually just liked that episode of Angel. Same, and I also in a think vacuum I just, like, again in really a vacuum. If we pretend like nothing else happened episode. in this entire season, but <laughs> still, but I can live that way because what else am I doing? I mean, we anyway, are where are, we are. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing today? Um, well, you I'm sound sure, like you have as a you cold. <laughs> tell I sound amazing. Um, mm-hmm. No, because I was visiting you last weekend in New York, and mm-hmm. I got a little tiny bit of winter, and apparently a winter cold to go along with that. <laughs> so, thank you, New York! Yay! Um, it, to be fair, it was probably just the airplanes. I mean, it's probably more like, thank you, Delta, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, although the subway although, is disgusting. you know, when I got home, my roommate was also sick, so like mm. it could be that there was like, germs lying around my apartment, too, so who yeah. knows? Um, it was just probably a mix of all of those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, first official uh, head cold of 2020. So, <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, I'm good. I mean, it's like a good excuse to kind of like sit around and like read and not do much. So, like, I don't really feel guilty about not going outside because like I run out of breath if I walk more mm-hmm. than five feet. So, how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I got those new leggings and I'm wearing them and they're great. <laughs> so I, am I think you need to dec- explain a, to people I am a what this solid means for you. Decade behind everyone. In fact, I would say I was pretty anti leggings for a long time. In my defense, you know, 2006 to 2010 were some like dark times where people like went too hard for leggings as like everyday wear and not just as like loungewear or no I would exercise wear so that it wasn't just that it's that they went a step further and were like not just leggings but tights shall be pants (laughs) right yeah so there was some dark times and also just as a look that whole late mid uh you know mid aughts mid aughts doesn't make sense there's how do you refer to the 2000 to 2010 whatever the aughts aughts okay you're right so mid aughts there were some dark times for fashion there was a lot of Ugg boots and leggings and skirts and things, and I was not really into that. So I resented leggings for a long time. And I like sweatpants and pajama pants a lot. So I'm just saying recently I started wearing leggings, and it turns out they're amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I've been wrong for all these years. I don't regret any of my choices. But Everlane, this company that I buy a pretty decent amount of clothes from, just came out with their own line of leggings, and I bought them, and I love them. They they are amazing. They're so comfortable. That's just well, that information I needed to know. That I haven't done anything leggings. except go de- go buy a bagel and sit in my apartment. So you know I haven't really tested them, especially in any in forms of like exercise. But they're great so far. I am very happy with my purchase. I'm so proud of you, <laughs> guys. Leggings. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Ten years later. I also think that, that I have. A, I off and on would buy like one pair, like when they're on sale on J Crew or something. But I think, first of all, the other ones that I've bought so far are like cotton, which are fine, but it's not as comfortable. These are like exercise materials, so they're just even more yeah. flexible. It's just a lot better. Like um, I'll tell you, I'm wearing a pair of leggings right now that are just like lounge cotton ones, and like. They're not, they're comfy, but they're not, it's not the same because I think there's they a just comfort like itchier in the, like, or something. of yeah. the other ones. It's like wearing like a, um, like a thunder jacket on your legs, like all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, yes. I also think that I was sometimes getting them too small and then it's like, it's borderline, right? Cause like they are supposed to be tight and in some cases they're supposed to be like holding you in a bit, but like, and then, you know, it's hard to know. Like anyway, also I'm always buying them online. So I was like, I can't compare this to anything. 
Ugh, but I feel good. I'm excited to wear these most of the day until I have to go to someone's house and then I'll change. But, but then you're not doing it the right way because the, the I'm true, not going to be the true legging wearer <laughs> will wear them no matter what the occasion. No, that I refuse to do. I will wear them in public because they're my what I'm my the reason I bought these was to wear after volleyball games. A lot of people mm. play volleyball. A lot of the women play volleyball in leggings, like pants. But I just I can't I can't do that. Like it will confuse me so um but I can wear them after the games so I will wear them in public which I know is important to you and all of our listeners <laughs> so anyway I'll stop talking about this I look forward to the paparazzi shots yes <laughs> all right well I don't know how to segue out of this but <laughs> no one was wearing leggings in Buffy kind of disappointing I feel like Buffy sometimes wears them to work out maybe yeah yeah but this never hit that like leggings as no this was acti- like right as on the regular fashion yeah. yeah um but we are fully in early odds fashion territory which is yes. equally as terrible so it's not great yeah there's i mean there's some horror to be seen i think dawn's hairstyle a couple episodes ago was like what is happening <laughs> um anyway not to take myself on a tangent too far so we're talking today about empty places, which, as I kind of said at the beginning, is the episode. And mm-hmm. by the episode, I mean the notorious episode where everybody turns on Buffy and like kicks her out of that out of her own house. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the basic plot of this episode. Yes. But um, <laughs> I'll elaborate a little bit. So everybody's obviously like still re- still reeling from the attack at the vineyard. Um, Xander's still in the hospital because he lost an eye. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. big deal. It seems like everyone else has healed up in his home, but everybody's kind of grumbling and like looking at Buffy and like wondering like, you know, what she, what's she doing? What's she going to do? Um, but there's no like direct confrontation really. So everybody's just kind of going about like the, the potentials are still getting lectured to by Anya about the, things they're going to face um with the help of andrew which is obviously not that helpful so um and they're just left to kind of sit around and be depressed and miserable and faith is the only one who's like there and so faith decides like they need a bit of a you know night out to let off some steam so faith takes them to the bronze but of course it's Faith, so she's not the most responsible chaperone. And as we know, a lot of these girls are very young. So Faith basically takes them and gets them drunk and then gets in a fight with local cops because they've discovered that Faith is, well, Faith. And in Sunnydale, a fugitive. she's a wanted fugitive. And <laughs> there's a showdown with the cops. But it, it does kind of appear that the cops are not behaving as normal cops. Like they many times threaten to shoot everybody and um, they do seem kind of difficult to subdue in some way as well. Where Buffy shows up and she sees the end of this and she's really upset with Faith because not only is she getting the girls drunk, they're fighting with cops and Buffy's like, this isn't really productive to the mission. As we now know, Buffy is like all about the mission and Faith counters with, well, they're just girls and they needed to have a night off and by the way, like kind of throws towards Buffy like maybe you should bother to find out how they're feeling or like Mm -hmm. here's a thought learn their names and so Buffy's dealing with all this meanwhile Giles um and everybody are digging into this research that Buffy had um had dug up on potential or or actually that Giles and Willow had gotten from the police on potential similar crimes and houses of worship um, in California because they're trying to track the origins of Caleb and they get a promising lead at one place and Spike sends or sorry Giles sends <laughs> Spike and Andrew to go investigate and they encounter a priest there who has clearly been traumatized and branded by Caleb and he tells them that Caleb showed up and you know they welcomed him in he found a back room like a hidden room in their I, I don't know where they're supposed to be actually in their monastery or something. And, mm-hmm. and then he saw the writing on the wall and he got really upset and like murdered everybody. It turns out what the writing says is it's not meant for you. It's meant for her. Um, so implication being there's something that's meant for Buffy that Caleb 
might want. But meanwhile, Buffy just takes this as a betrayal again by Giles that he just sent away the one person who has her back, um, which Giles responds with, they all have her back. And so this this starts leading to the tension. Um, and then Buffy goes to the high school to ostensibly get out of the house and get her things but Caleb confronts her there they have another battle Buffy gets knocked out so she's still unable to um effectively counter Caleb and when she comes to she comes home and she has this great idea like oh we need to go back to the vineyard because there's something there that Caleb and the first must be protecting because why aren't they at the school why aren't they um, protecting the seal, if that's the important place, that's where they would be. Why are they at the vineyard? Mm-hmm. And everybody is understandably hesitant to march back into the vineyard and face another slaughter. Buffy's kind of not having it, so everybody, you know, things get heated and everybody lashes out at Buffy about her leadership, her decision making, etc. And ultimately, Dawn kicks Buffy out of the house. Faith is presumably the new leader and Buffy tells her to, you know, take care of everybody. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't talk about this without getting too yeah. editorial. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, you've been as objective as you could be. <laughs> I, I want to say first off that I agree with you. This is not a great episode of television. Um, it's not. I, and I think the problem for me is mostly that the events leading up to the final confrontation seem to have no bearing on the final exactly, confrontation. Exactly, exactly. Like, everybody seems fine until they're not. Exactly. People haven't really... The I mean, show they don't hasn't, seem fine, like, but they're not, like... It's, it, like, on paper, it does make sense to me that some of these people would have these feelings, but they've... Mo- with the exception of the potentials, who, frankly, I've, I've been trying to be very forgiving of them, but they are pretty annoying <laughs> getting to the point Rona where can I'm, just like where I and, and Kennedy too <laughs> Kennedy I really tried to give her a fair shot knowing that she kind of gets slandered but I really dislike her I'm like but like no like Buffy is obviously just... like distraught and Rona is like and the witch is dead and it's like that is yeah, unnecessary I know it's so inappropriate Ugh. but yeah okay so Suffice it to say, yes, I I understand on paper why these things make sense and even to a degree why the writers felt like this needed to happen. You know, like there is something to like, we have all these potentials. They don't still really know or understand the world that they're in. And so I can really understand them needing to basically learn a harsh lesson. And like, they've learned a couple of harsh lessons, but like, I get, I get it. You know, it's just so poorly explained. And I have to say, even, I guess we should give like, well, whatever we can do this, however it happens. But like, even Buffy's argument for herself isn't very good. So I was just pretty annoyed at everybody through that whole scene and not annoyed in a way that is like, well, maybe 20% of it was like, man, this is actually a really frustrating situation and I'm feeling what the show intends me to feel. But so much of it was like, everything that everybody's saying is such garbage. (laughs) I'm just like, can I jump into this scene, please, and make a case for you? Because you're all doing a very bad job. (laughs) You know what's weird is the only person I felt had an effective argument was Faith. No, I 100% agree. Actually... Her points to Buffy were, I think, were spot on because she was, hers was the only constructive criticism of Buffy's leadership, which was that to be a leader, you do need to get to know the people that you're leading. And and we've talked before about how Buffy seems very, like, to have set herself apart from the potentials. And and maybe it's so that she doesn't get attached to them, but... But she um, hasn't really said that. But no, I totally agree with yeah. you. I actually, Faith was the only person I liked in this whole episode. She said a lot of things that I liked, and I specifically actually liked her and Buffy's interactions repeatedly because obviously this whole scene is is a hot pile, but when Buffy leaves and then Faith tries to go after her and you think for a second that, like, Buffy's just going to be salty, but instead they're, she's really just like, look, Faith, now it's on you and, like, you have to do it. Like, I just really respected that. When they had their confrontation outside of the bo- bronze, and then during the argument, Faith is the one who's like, I'm not asking for this. This is not what I wanted. I'm just trying to ask questions. Like, she never... Faith was the only one who I thought, yes, I agree. She was the only one making a good argument and who I thought her perspective was valid. Everybody else is just being a piece of garbage. It's really hard for me not to curse because I'm so angry. And Principal Wood, like, why? he's Where clearly he just off? salty because Buffy told him that the mission was important and that, you know... But he, also, yeah. He's got, like, you know, 
told off for trying to kill Spike. But like he like shows up. Why is he even there? Oh, Faith is, and he like just met Faith, and it's like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Well, I think again, actually, so that actually I think gets to the heart of why I really don't like the way this ends up happening, which is pretty much what you already said, is that they don't spend the whole episode sowing these seeds of discords. They just, all of a sudden, in the last five minutes, everybody's mad at each other. Um, Kind of in that degree, I, I think there is a case to be made for this as a piece of plot happening. But it's really hard to watch Giles, Xander, and Willow listen to potentials who don't have any experience and Principal Wood, who has ju- they've only just met and still don't really know that much about. You know what I mean? And it's like the things that Giles and Xander specifically say in this episode are just, I was seeing red. I'm so mad at them. And again, like, hard Xander- to say, am I mad at the show or am I mad at the characters? But I'm mad. <laughs> so here's, here's where I fall on this. Like, Principal Wood... I don't know why they trust his opinion. I don't know why they're listening to him. He has only ever proved to yeah. be out for his like personal vendetta. He just hasn't earned it. Even if he right. has good motives, he's not been around long enough. And then Xander, I forgive him because he just had his eye like torn out. Like he's not. <clears throat> he's obviously traumatized. He's not thinking. Like obviously not going to be rational about and 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 to be fair, like nobody would propose that he go back into the vineyard. But right. you know, but Giles is being. I think. It's coming across as he's just like affronted that yeah he doesn't respect his authority, but Giles that shouldn't be left. an issue. They've worked past that. I don't, I, I don't know I'm, why this is suddenly Allie, like coming up as a thing. Allie Giles's whole arc in season six was that he left so that Buffy would be the leader. I know. <laughs> and now Giles comes back and he's salty that she's not listening to him when she's making a de- actually again. I, I think this is the part that's just poor writing is like every time Buffy kind of defends her decisions like with Spike and with this thing it's like they make her just sound like an idiot. So it's like I can kind of understand why no one's listening to her because she's not making a lot of sense or rather she's making a poor case for herself. I think her ideas make sense. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm mad at him. I'm also really mad at Willow for, you know, here's the thing about Willow. Willow uh, went uh, off off the charts last season and had to go do witch rehab where she learned how to control her emotions and be at one with the earth. And then in this scene, she lets Xander, who is emotional from just losing his eye, ringlead a whole argument against against the, the leader. Instead of stepping in and saying, guys, there's a way to talk this out and you got, everybody needs to take a step back and like, why don't we reconvene in a day? Because we're too emotional about this. So that I just... Willow spent a whole summer learning this lesson and appears to do nothing for her. You know what I mean? Like, she can't recognize that everybody's being irrational because their feelings are so heated. And I don't understand Willow's no, stance in this, in this fight because she doesn't make it clear. Like, Kennedy, you know, is like, why are you always defending her? And Willow says, I'm not defending her. But then Willow doesn't really say anything. She doesn't substance. make an argument. Yeah. Yeah. So I she don't really know where Willow in. stands. Yeah. And I also, I agree, think you're right. Buffy's defense of herself seems to be, I'm the leader. Right. But She's I can understand her being flustered because it's and, and, 30 against one, but otherwise. Yeah. I mean, what really frustrates me, and, and I think that the actual issue at stake here that the show in this particular episode doesn't at all address, but they should because it's come up before, is that every time Buffy faces a foe and yes. fails, she loses the faith of the potentials, which is a problem because how is it... How is it constructive for them to have someone that they're supposed to follow and look up to, but only only when she's successful, like only when she's this unbeatable, like, quote, God person who like can't ever be beaten in battle? Because remember, she had to do a Thunderdome type showdown with the Uber vamp because the mm-hmm. first time she got severely injured and lost a slayer and everybody turned on her. And so to get them back, she had to show them she was powerful. And then yet again, she can't beat Caleb and Faith can't beat Caleb. And so their response is to turn on her. That's a problem. And I don't think that that was addressed at all as the issue here. Like everybody's telling Buffy, oh, you're terrible. Why are you making us do this? But nobody's confronting the fact that ultimately these issues only arise when Buffy can't be the ultimate victor. But that's incredibly unfair to say that for her to keep her leadership role, she has to win every battle that she's going to fight. But I think that's the, yeah, she's never going to do that. And, and they don't know anything about Caleb right now, which, which, okay. Is the fairness in fairness, I think is why Buffy's charging back in is not a great one, but for them to turn on her because she lost a fight 
again. I think that, yes, I think that's, again, the heart of why I am sympathetic to Xander, but he, I, him and Giles are really bearing the brunt of my ire. Here's the thing. What you're saying is, I think, my biggest problem as well. I understand why people have the feelings that they have, but literally during this argument, nobody poses an alternative. There isn't an alternative. That's why they don't do it. Because I think this is where Buffy really fails herself is that like not explaining to them, like there's literally not an option. Like Rona is saying, Oh, girls are getting killed. And I'm like, if you know how many other girls got killed because they didn't get to the house. So like, you're going to be dead no matter what you do. You're being hunted. Even being in the house isn't a safe place for you because the first can get in there and like get in your head. So I, that I just, I don't, they don't say, Oh, we don't like what you're doing, Buffy. What we want to do is nothing. But that's what they mean. And that to me is just like, I just don't understand it. And then my big, big thing with Xander. And again, I understand that in the moment, this is maybe not his shining moment because he's been traumatized and I'm sympathetic to that. But Xander is the human who has chosen to help his friends fight this battle against evil for seven years. He has not really done much in the way of training himself up in terms of combat. He's just gotten really lucky repeatedly. He's lucky he hasn't lost more than an eye already. And I think it's completely off the charts for him to suggest that because he now has gotten injured, all of a sudden there are real stakes to this. Like, I'm sorry, Xander, your life has been in danger this entire time. And to be frank, you're the only one that doesn't have to be a part of this. So like you made this choice and it sucks right now for you, but you don't get to blame Buffy because you got injured once. How many times has Buffy saved your actual life? Like get off of it. That's a great point. And also I think an even better point that, I don't want to blame Xander because Caleb is obviously a formidable opponent. Sure, sure, sure. He hasn't done anything to improve his chances in any battle because we've never seen him adopt a workout routine. Like, he's not like Cordelia and Angel who, like, asked Angel to train her with swords. (laughs) Yeah, like, he's never tried to learn how to fight or any kind of martial art or anything that might be beneficial that you'd think as the one human without any kind of special abilities, he might choose to do like and for a while he was like coasting on his military training which mm-hmm. was flimsy at best and like yeah to yeah but it's I fine mean, like, I he, don't begrudge him that he no. is helpful in all these other ways which is also really important right like he's the only one with an income and he's the only one who but can I repair. bring this up to say yeah. that I think you're right that yeah, no. if this is his first major injury in seven years like Xander hasn't ended up in the hospital Willow ended up basically almost dead in season two Mm -hmm. you know after the attack on the high school so um if this is his first major like injury and it just happens to be permanent and you know but it's not Buffy's fault like that is is the part that is just such an irrational connection to make and again to his only defense is that he just got out of the hospital and he, things are really raw for him right now. But like, that's why everybody needs to say like, maybe we shouldn't be having this conversation literally right this moment. Like everybody take 24 hours, (laughs) write down your thoughts and then we can have a conversation about it. Because like I said, like what's, what's, what really bothers me is that they don't have an alternative. And it, while I agree that they shouldn't go rushing in to Caleb's again, there's like, they could just be debating, like, the logistics. You know what I mean? Is is like, yeah, if Buffy sounds too much like she's being rash, then why don't they just say, like, look, you kind of said this before, and we didn't do enough recon, and that was why we got beat. So why don't this time we take a week to try and figure out what's going on, and then if it makes sense, we will do this. And if we don't find anything, maybe you need to accept that it's not there. Well, but, like, nobody says, can like, have I'm that. I'm open to yeah, strategy she does say that. and, like, all this stuff, but this is the plan. Yeah. Again, why isn't Giles... Giles has always been the adult in the room and that he's being such a baby about this is just like, I I really earnestly want to slap him in the face. It's not a good look for Giles. It's not. And it... Yeah. You know, I I don't want to... No, mm, I'm very curious what you're going to say because I wonder if it's what I'm thinking. I actually had one more thing about Xander, but I was like, I don't know if I want to like harp on Xander too much. Um, I mean... Yeah, I'm not, I want to know what it was, though. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, it's okay. I And then we can move on to Giles. I um, I was watching the scene in the hospital, and I was... Because I was thinking about what you said, like, of Xander going into battle. Like, he gave that rousing speech before they went into battle. Mm-hmm. He went fully of his own volition. Nobody forced him. And he happened to get injured. And then you watch that scene in the hospital... And I wonder if he's waiting for Buffy to apologize. I think he but is. Yeah. I think that's it. But 
But it, as we've been saying, it's not her fault. She didn't make him go. She didn't make Caleb attack him. I don't think she actually owes anyone an apology. I don't think so either. And well, I think maybe he's waiting she for does. One. I, I think she owes this potential. Uh, she should admit I was rash and we should have done more recon before we went in. But that's different than saying it is like, different than saying you it's losing my fault. your eye is like my fault. Like yeah. I, I don't think that she owes him the type of apology that it appears that he might want. And, I agree. And I also. I'm angry at Xander for expecting it because it undercuts his entire speech of like, yeah, we go in voluntarily and do this because she, and then when it goes wrong to be like, oh, and she, she has to grovel at our feet because we got hurt. Like, well, and it's a lot like Giles. I think what's what I don't like about this. I don't think this was intentional, but it sure something about Giles and um, Xander's reactions in this episode was just so like, oh, have you guys secretly been this paternalistic and, like, uh, the whole time? You know what I mean? Have and you met like, Xander? Yes, he has. Well, Xander has. Yes, I know. And I said that. I was like, Xander, we hated you for three seasons. You finally earned my love back, and now you're throwing it all away. <laughs> it's just so frustrating. But, like, with Giles, I've honestly really respected and looked up for Giles for the duration of this series. And to have him just for two, the last two or three episodes just be an, an a-hole for, like, kind of no reason without really any good justification, it really makes it seem like, oh, this whole time Giles was only okay with Buffy as long as she was listening to him. As long you know, as he's Jenny, the one in charge... You- and if you want to swear, I'll just put the explicit word yeah. in this episode. <laughs> no, sorry, it sounds so stupid to say a hole. I hate it. But yeah, it just it's just but that part to me, it feels a little bit oh, I don't want to say this. It just feels a little true to Joss Whedon and the greater Whedon verse of like, oh, secretly the whole time, maybe you didn't always have the best ideas for women. You know, like I think Buffy the show mostly has gotten out unscathed, like it, you know, in my opinion, it has held up very well and I've loved rewatching it. But, you know, just that like, oh, sneakily, were you, is this your, like, who, who is the one who has these Giles's feelings that they decided to write that in and that that seemed logical to them? Like, it just was disappointing. It just makes me disappointed in the like undercurrents of his character and what that maybe then means for all those other seasons. I don't, I'm not leaning in too hard to that. That's more of a like passing thought that I had, but it just really, Giles is just really disappointing me as, I feel a, like as I could, a human. I could deal with it more if it felt like he had any counter ideas, but he just well, so exactly doesn't. Yeah, I don't. Also, why isn't Willow saying anything? And why did Don also, Don hasn't said anything. In fact, they've really under, Don has barely been in the show for the last several episodes, which fine, I get it. You don't have, you know, infinite time. But then to have her, I, I, that really more than anything, that was such an angel the show move to have Don come in and deliver those lines because they're just expecting it because expecting it to carry more emotional weight because it's coming from Don without doing any of the actual work to show why Don is feeling this way. <laughs> you know, I was just like, you can't just have Don say a thing and then it's supposed to land for me because it didn't make any sense. Yeah. I didn't really understand what Don's beef with Buffy was. Also, they literally kick her out of the house. Like, I don't understand why option a is not you're not in charge anymore. <laughs> Like yeah, why did she have really, to leave? That's yeah, what I don't they didn't really give her a chance to say, okay, fine, let's do it Faith's way. I get the implication is that she wasn't going to fall in, and that was her whole argument, is that they all have to be in on it together, but I just think that's such a weak case for, like, literally making her homeless. I have a few stray thoughts, or, you know, things that don't relate to this whole debacle. Okay. Uh... Worth noting when they go to the bronze and make a jab at the band for uh, being one of the signs of the apocalypse, that's uh, that band is Nerf Herder, a.k.a. the, (laughs) you know, they wrote the Buffy theme song and they wrote our our theme song. Well, they didn't write a theme song for us so much as we used one of their songs. We just asked permission (laughs) from them to use it. (laughs) We did Uh, do that. I don't know if we've mentioned that before. (laughs) Yes. Um, I don't think they thought that was necessary, but I'm <laughs> glad we did it anyway. Uh, yeah, so that was Nerf Herder. Also, uh, I think it's been well overdue that we get some Spike and Andrew one-on-one time because I'm sad. I mean, I understand why this isn't really the episode where you have like oh tons of time. Oh my God, I didn't mention it. Tons of time to burn Spike on. Spike taught us how to make a blooming onion. He did. <laughs> I really liked that scene. I, I was like, it's a high time they have some hijinks together, right? I liked them. Oh, for sure. No, I I can't believe I forgot to mention that because I found that scene so delightful where Spike just calmly lays out (laughs) exactly how you fry an onion to get it to bloom like that. (laughs) (sighs) 
Okay, so, but I feel like I do need more information because he says okay. you put it in, like, ice water for an hour. And then fry it for five and minutes. And then fry it, but I'm assuming you also have to bread it, but it's going to be really wet from sitting mm. in the ice water. And then you fry it root side up, so I don't know. I, But I was like, <laughs> Spike clearly did his research. He did. Well, I mean, he's had nothing but time to eat bartenders at the bronze. I wonder if he, like, at, at one point ate an Outback Steakhouse worker <laughs> exactly. to learn how to make a Bloomin' Onion. <laughs> okay, all recipes. What do you say? <laughs> um, I also... Um, Neglected to mention the beginning where everyone is basically hmm. evacuating Sunnydale. Oh, yeah. And we got a little last nod from Clem. Mm-hmm. Always happy to see him. So the implication being that, like, things have gotten so bad that people are fleeing the town. They've canceled school. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we think about this? Because this is a level of town awareness that we've never seen before. Yeah, that's true. Like, I don't the, know. The mayor turned into a giant snake and started eating people and people didn't people leave did town. flee people did flee well anybody who had any inkling i guess it was mostly the no, demons but I that mean, like, even after the fact people were like well that happened and we just still hmm. live here yeah you know because there are it parents is a little that weird saw the the mayor turn into a snake yeah maybe that was the beginning of awareness maybe i guess i don't know what do you feel about you feel about it it, I, I, it kind of has to be happening, right? Because it's like, well, I, I feel know. it's convenient for where they want to take this right. to have the town basically be empty. Fair enough. Um, but I don't know because, like, we don't. Also, we don't really have a sense at all outside of the high school of what the ripple effects have been of like mm-hmm. the Hellmouth acting up and what's been happening because. But I think you can seen, assume. Well, can, can we? Because the high school is, like, on the Hellmouth, so I kind of assume that's why things were so bad there, but we haven't seen, like, local business owners combusting or, you know, like, we haven't really heard about that. It's just, so I, it does feel like things have escalated off screen, but we're not really made aware of it. Hmm. That I mean, I'm, it's ultimately fine. Like, I think it is a convenience for plot, but I, I think I would have liked a little more background as to, like, why the town is yeah. suddenly evacuating and, like, if the mayor gave the order or people are just leaving of their own accord. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I have two more important things to say. One is shame... Uh, well, yes. Uh, okay. I did suspect that that... So... They do keep having these weird run-ins with the cops. And I guess I kind of agree with you because the cops are acting weird, but in a way that's like, it, it's not really the way we've seen the Hellmouth make people behave. It was just kind of weird. They, But <laughs> regardless, so the cops were, they, I, I agree with you that like kind of the greater, like what is going on in Sunnydale, it, it's, it's confusing exactly how it's acting out. Suffice to say, I did think one of those cops looked really familiar, and my suspicion yes. was like, man, he sure looks like that guy who played Billy on Angel, and it is that guy. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I didn't recognize him from that, but it's like the really mean cop, right? Uh-huh. Like, I was like, god, why does yeah, that guy I was look like, really oh, familiar? kind of looks like such a just like, you know, early aughts, like, D-bag, but he's Billy, for sure, because oh. I just looked it up on IMDb. That's also, hilarious. he's... The new boyfriend in Little Miss Sunshine for Steve Carell's like runs into his ex at the gas station and he has like a hot new boyfriend. It's that guy. Uh, I also just found that out from IMDb. Anyway, I'm sorry. I forgot to make my my classic argument for against uh, everybody's poor choices in this episode. And I can't believe I we skipped over this. So I'm sorry to drag us back into the um, Buffy expulsion thing. I understand that this isn't an airtight argument, but it is also really for Willow, Xander, and Giles. I think what is the nail in the coffin for them, um, in my opinion, is that we, whether or not this is a good truth or not in the world of Buffy, I think it's pretty well established that especially in terms of all things demonic, Buffy is always right. (laughs) You know, there have been at least two instances where everybody doubted Buffy's instincts and or her ideas about what was going on. And then by the end of the episode, she was proven right. The first one is, or I don't know which one was chronologically first, but um, one of them is when she's in the hospital and they, you know, there's that like terrible 
monster oh. who's like eating kids' souls, and everybody's like, Buffy, you just hate hospitals because your cousin died in one, and blah, blah, blah. And they like keep brushing her aside, right? And then at the end, of course, she was right. And then the second one is uh, the first episode of college, right? Or the second, whichever episode, when her roommate <laughs> seems, seems a little bit off. And it's mostly like for comedic effect in that one, but like nobody believes her that her roommate is a demon. And then of course she is. And it's like, I think that uh, when they wrote those, it was partially, especially the roommate one, like, I guess that's just really for comedy that like, haha, in this world, like, uh, you know, it is the sort of thing that normally would just be a problem in the real world and they turn it into a demonic thing. But like, I still think the case is that Buffy has good instincts where these things are concerned. So again, it's totally fine for me that people are questioning her or even that they don't want to immediately follow her plan, but that Giles and Willow and Xander aren't willing to hear her out and say, you know what? Every other time that we've doubted your instincts as a slayer, you've been right. So maybe even though you're not making a great case for yourself, we should at least entertain this idea. So like that just drives me nuts in this episode like Buffy is always right, right. she's literally always she right <laughs> should have a bank of credibility with them that they don't seem to be recognizing and I would also take that a step further and say that they are also has historically been a bias against Buffy relating to her um decision making around romantic partners yes. because when Angel returned and she told everybody he's he back we're not together but like he's fine because you know this, they all like immediately, like Faith, like immediately went off to kill Angel because Xander mm-hmm. saw them kissing. Like yeah. <laughs> that was so. Like Buffy's already kind of been through this before, and like in this season, they're repeatedly questioning her judgment because they think every time she mentions Spike, it's because she's in love with him. I know. Like, it's like so, even it's in this so one, they're like, "What's up with you and Spike?" And Buffy's like, "What?" Like yeah. it's like nothing. Nothing has been nothing. happening. <laughs> and they um. But they're refusing to acknowledge the legitimacy of her decision making because she used to sleep with Spike or it's used so to true. sleep with Angel, and like that's actually a that's such a well. shitty thing to it's do. Incredibly too. unfair. It really is, especially because she's right about both of them. Yeah, yeah. No, you're so right. Um, yeah. No, I totally agree. Also, it reminds. It doesn't. It sort of reminds me. But I saw this on. I just was saw this scene um, posted on the internet a few, like sometime in the last week or so where people were um, the scene where after surprise in season two, after angel turns bad for the first time and Buffy, it has to kind of have it out with Giles to like explain what happened. And he gives her this really amazing speech about how I'm not going to judge you. I'm just here to offer you my support and we're going to like get through this. And it's like, it makes me cry every time we watch it. And like, even just seeing the little screen clip clips, like I was scrolling through Reddit and I was like, Oh, that is such a great scene. I guess just, it just breaks my heart to see Giles go from that to this. Where it's like, well, he can't because even ever since be he supportive. gave her that speech, he's like undermined it. At yeah. Every turn. <laughs> it's like, he can't even be emotionally supportive of her right now. Even if, I don't know. It's just like everything about it is like, this isn't you Giles. So you've never been this way. <sighs> All right, now I'm actually done. Okay. Should we move on to Angel? We should. Okay. The bright spot. <laughs> the bright spot. I. It's weird to say, but I, I agree with you. Like, on its own merits, I actually really enjoyed this episode. Me too. So, um, um, why don't you tell us what happened? Okay, first of all, the magic bullet. For, uh, for once, or maybe for the second time, a totally apropos title <laughs> that has a number of meanings that are easily discernible and make a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, okay, so where we kicked off, or, you know, last episode was that Faith, I'm sorry, Faith, uh, Fred uh, realized what was, because of her exposure to Jasmine's blood, realized that Jasmine was really a monster and not this great goddess that everybody else sees her as. And once she said that out loud to Wesley and Gunn, they turned on her immediately. So Fred is, like, on the lam. And uh, we see her getting chased by Gunn and Wesley, but she manages to escape. So really all the early parts of this episode are the Angel Investigations team's figuring, team figuring out how they're going to find Fred. So like Angel and Connor just do some, you know, your basic tracking using, you know, their eyesight and sense of smell or whatever to kind of figure out where she's gone. But it turns out Jasmine is seemingly maybe getting stronger and or developing new abilities as she stays on earth. So she able is able to to kind of telepathically communicate with angel and Connor and ask them to come back to the hotel. And then she explains that 
if they basically hold hands and think really hard, <laughs> they'll be able to reach out to Fred. I, I say that wish. joking, but it made, I mean, it made sense in the episode, right? Like, sure. So they basically kind of psychically reach out to try and figure out where Fred is. And it totally works. Uh, Jasmine is able to start seeing through every, but every one of her followers, which is almost every person in LA, um, through their eyes. And so that she's was creepy. It was so creepy. She sees Fred trying, who's been living in a motel and then all the people that she is kind of seeing through their eyes, she's able to seemingly control them and they start closing in on Fred. So Fred, things are just going from bad to worse for Fred. She barely escapes from a guy, you know, people are trying to run over with their cars. People are trying to grab her, whatever. So she roll. Yeah. So she manages to escape. Um, yeah. And mean has a run in with a demon that turned out to really not mean anything, but sure. Whatever. Um, anyway, eventually. No, it did. Oh, okay. Maybe you're going to have to remind me. Okay. Uh, anyway, so she, uh, realizes that, oh, I, okay. She realizes that she's <laughs> every, first of all, that she's not going to be able to keep running because literally every person knows what she looks like now and can't, you know, magically, mystically. And so, and they're all after her. So she more or less like turns herself in. She goes back to this, uh, magic bullet bookstore where she had been trying to research on mind, mass mind control and like mass hysteria and stuff. And, um, waits until Jasmine and everybody shows up and then she shoots a magic bullet <laughs> through Jasmine <laughs> into Angel thus exposing him to Jasmine's blood and making him have the same thing that happened to um to Fred herself so that he sees what's going on so of course Jasmine immediately oh they're faithless her evil is you know touched Angel now too it's totally lost but now Fred finally has an ally and somebody who is going to help her and who can understand what she's going through um, so then she and Angel come up with a new plan. They realize that it's definitely Jasmine's blood that helps break the spell that she has on everybody, but it's going to be way too hard to get Jasmine's blood. Uh, Angel instead suggests or realizes that they can probably use Cordelia's blood. So they break into the Hyperion, the room where, um, Cordelia is staying and take some of her blood. And then one by one, um, you know, ex expose, cure, whatever you want to say, uh, Wesley, Gunn, Lorne. And then at the last minute or in the last scene, they try to also cure Connor. But af even after exposing him to the blood, he immediately runs out and turns them in. I guess just so the other kind of it doesn't work. It doesn't seem to be working. Um, other everybody else. Meanwhile, it's just clear this hold that Jasmine has on ev literally every person. People are coming in from other parts of the world. Maybe it seems like, and she's saying all these beautiful things to everybody, talking to them really like a messiah. But also in the background, she keeps asking for individuals to be sent up to her room. And I think it's pretty clear early on that it's like for some sort of nefarious purpose. And then we find out kind of at the very end of the episode that she's I don't know how literal this is, but she's eating those people <laughs> to sustain her life. So, you know, basically she's taking sacrifices. And even when she's chasing after Fred, you know, she's kind of controlling all these people. One of the guys gets in a car accident and then gets set on fire and he keeps going. Like, I'm just saying Jasmine all the, the kind of darkness of what she's doing is kind of starting to appear even just to us kind of generically in the background or generally in the background. So, okay. Sorry. I explain. Yeah. That, that scene was also really interesting too, because it also points to potential weaknesses in her power where mm, mm -hmm. that guy was set on fire. Right. The more um, connected she gets to everybody, maybe she's also getting more vulnerable to. Yeah. Because she got burned through that connection. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. explain the demon thing. She had some sort oh, of okay. revelation so, about the blood in that scene, and I missed yeah, it. Yeah, so okay. Fred runs into the that little demon guy, and I I I don't know for sure, but I understood it to mean that he was a Wolferman Hart employee. Oh yeah, he, he said he had was, like huh? an assistant and Aww. like a, he said he was a demon executive. And yeah, I, thought that was I don't I don't know for <laughs> sure, but that was my assumption. Like maybe he was on the run ever since the Beast, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, they never could. They never confirmed that. That's that was my backstory that I gave him. But I he he sense. then attacks Fred and she kills him. But then she sees the blood on her shirt, and then she has the realization about the Jasmine's, Jasmine's blood. blood. Okay, which is when she goes back to the um, the bookstore and then shoots Angel. I have to say, and this is just me being stupid. I think, but I because that that demon that she ran into also wasn't affected by Jasmine. I thought she was going for a Angel as a demon. And if I ignite his demon, he'll be able to see things. 
even I knew uh, that the blood had worked for her. I just was thinking that that was what she was doing with Angel for a while before I was like, oh, I see. Just yeah. the blood. Just straight blood. <laughs> well, he also, doesn't he also make reference to like, um, what? because that demon was talking about Jasmine and he said something about. Her Jasmaniacs like, or something. Yeah, or like something about demons, but I don't remember what it was. Like kind of an implication being like demons don't they're not affected yeah Yeah. but they didn't really get into that so no whatever doesn't really matter i think what i really liked about this episode was uh, i we've liked this a lot about other episodes was like it was really a cool self-contained horror film like it was pretty riveting yeah it was so creepy that woman at the motel like turns to look at fred and i jumped but also like fred like props to um amy acker in this episode because like she was terrified she's sad she's alone like everything she really i think conveyed everything and i think that was what really sold this episode for me was that like it was a great mini horror movie the way even some of those classic episodes of buffy have been but then also like this the like distress that Fred is under because she's lost all of her friends while everybody else is so happy. And then specifically when she cures Angel and then he's like still really sad that this beautiful thing he believed isn't true. And Fred's like, yeah, I still cry all the time about it. And I was like, that broke my heart. And I was just like, wow, that I just thought they executed all of that stuff really well. You know, it's more than just a horror movie. It's also like an episode about her loneliness and her distress and her sadness. And I just thought they really brought it It would make an amazing horror movie because the ultimate thing that people are being promised is like connection and family and love. And then when you have it taken away, you have loneliness and sadness and despair and like this realization of this thing that you believed in is ugly and not real. And I'm like, it's so good. It's a great movie. But to that point, you're right. Like, this is the first time in a long time that Angel has had any sort of discernible metaphor, (laughs) you know? Like, it wasn't just a random series of events meant to get us to a very convoluted plot line. It was like, there's a theme, it's loneliness, and it's connection, and here's all these ways that we're going to expertly write a tight episode about that. Like, it was so good. Oh my god, the more we talk about it, the more I like it. I mean, the only thing I hated is that they've reduced, you know, everything about Cordelia and everything about how we got here is obviously terrible. And I don't, as much as I appreciate, they love to have these twists and like, well, we can't get Jasmine's blood, but Cordelia has the same blood. Like, that's like a pretty classic Angel and Buffy, you know, kind of twist at the end. But it was, it was hurtful to see Cordelia reduced to literally like a plot element who can't speak. Well, and they did say that she was like brain dead. Yeah, that was rough. Although she's breathing on her own without... A breathing tube, so she's not brain dead. Just gonna put that out there. I just uh, those aren't the same thing. She as being brain dead and being in a coma, very different. I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so not my favorite. I mean, like I think that they're going out of their way to be like, see, she's not out of the show yet. But like knowing that she is, it's like I honestly would rather just have her not there at all. I think it's just because they're contractually obligated to show her. Yeah, probably. You know, one thing, one quibble I had about this resolution of oh, it's Cordelia's blood is the way that they use it on Lorne and um, Wesley and Gunn and then Connor is that for both Fred and Angel, the realization only came once they saw Jasmine, like because Angel is fighting Fred and she's like, look at her, you know, you need to look at her. And that's when Angel realizes. Um, But somehow Lorne and Wesley and Gunn all come to the same realization without having to see Jasmine. Um, I have to say that from reading... I was reading this, the wiki, or like I had it pulled up, and it, it basically said that they'll address it, but that it, it, it has to do with Cordelia's blood being different than Jasmine's, oh, okay. and or more, aka more powerful <laughs> in this regard okay. at least. So I think like, that, it's like they got hit with the blood and then yeah. like immediately knew, but like they didn't have to look at her. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, it would have been nice to. Yeah. At least they will that. pay some lip service to it, whether or not it really makes sense. Okay. And I I don't remember. Um, about Connor, if he's truly not affected or if he's so desperate to believe that he just ignored it. I, mm-hmm. I don't remember how this goes, but I, cause I, I was watching that final scene and I, he, he kind of looks like he has a realization that comes over him mm-hmm. and then he like just makes a decision to just be like, I'm going to go back to what felt safe. And yeah. I don't remember how that plays yeah. out, but, um, if you're looking at the wiki, don't tell me. <laughs> no, I won't. Um, no, but I, I agree. I thought this was a very tight 
well-written, suspenseful episode and a lot of delightful moments, too, of, like, really black comedy that yeah. come out of this interaction that Jasmine has with people, like, that guy offering his house as payment for a hotel room yeah. or um, the guy, the bookstore owner, like, setting I liked his bookstore him a lot. on fire because yeah. Jasmine tells him, he's like, should I just... Stay, stay here, here. <laughs> and like she doesn't answer and so you're just like well i guess he just burned alive yeah but i like the actor a lot i only really recognize him from mad men where he's the utz guy yeah and there's one other thing that alex said but i forget what it was but i like that actor i thought he did a really good job oh actually that was the other thing this is kind of similar to what you're saying though i really liked that interaction when fred was first in the bookstore and you get to see the way that different types of people are interpreting jasmine because he almost makes it seem you know you know the episode sort of trying to throw us off and pretend like maybe he's another ally for her before he really is just like, but I'm so happy. You know, I don't know. I just, I really liked the different ways that people were getting happiness out of Jasmine because he's like, well, I don't have any business now, but I'm going to try and, you know, force Jasmine's love on the CIA who I know are still listening to me. Like it hasn't like overwritten their personalities. It's just like twisted their perspective on it. I don't know. I thought that part was really cool. Like he's still a conspiracy theorist, but like it doesn't bother him anymore. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He was like, I'm just not upset about it. He's like, I mean, I still think all these things. I just don't worry about them. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is really clever to show that like, Totally. Everybody hasn't just become like mindless zombies. Like they're still themselves. They just have this extra layer of like worship Mm -hmm. and like they're themselves without worry and care. Um, you yeah. know, as we see, like with um, Wesley and Gunn, like they're all, like even even when they're talking about Fred and Fred being dangerous and on the run, they're also talking about her like they're in love with her because they are. And right, like Gunn right. is still saying things like, you know, Fred rejects love and like all this stuff. So like they're still themselves. They're just themselves in relation to Jasmine, which I thought I think is a really nice note to show that like they haven't really been brainwashed. Exactly. It's, like, it's something just, different. Yeah, they're just under, like, a different kind of spell. Mm-hmm. Like, Wesley chasing after Fred as a, like, murderous, dangerous fugitive, but then saying, you know, everything she does is graceful. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, and also, can I say that I think this episode, for the first time in a long while, makes a great case for Angel being important and like useful to his own show because Mm. the only reason the magic bullet can work on Angel and that Fred can do that is because she knows that shooting Angel ultimately won't hurt him. Yeah. Um, Like if she had tried to do that with like anyone else, she would be in danger of like killing Killing them. them. Yeah. And Angel's like special in that regard. And also, you know, he's probably the best ally that she could have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, oh, this is like the first time in a while I really feel like it had to be Angel. Right, (laughs) right. It could be anyone else. And the show usually is not that good at making that case. It's true. I could have done without the Angel Fred kiss. That felt really gratuitous. That was weird. Like... And it was supposed not to be gratuitous, like, like it was so explicit of a scene, but just like gratuitous for like, oh, all the fans that have been wanting them to get together. So I was like, what? This just came out of nowhere. Well, and it also was like, oh, do you think they bought it? And it's like, who bought it? Like, yeah. you haven't even seen anyone yeah. yet. What are you talking about? Like, she just grabs him and kisses him. It's like. Yeah. And it was a really long kiss. It too. was. It was like, why? It was so weird. That was weird. That was Angel falling on its bad habits, I think. Angel the show. Yeah. Um, also, I think this was a joke, but maybe not. <laughs> So in the opening-ish scenes where Jasmine comes down to greet everybody who's in the hotel lobby and she says something nice to this woman and Angel's like, oh, how do you always know exactly what to say to people? And she's like, oh, I just see what's in their heart and like what they truly want. And then the next thing she says is to this guy and she tells him oh, that yeah. like his mustache is, is great and makes him look strong. And I was like, that's, that's his deepest desire. <laughs> I'm sure that was a joke, but it was pretty funny because it's just not delivered with the beat or cadence of a joke. <laughs> I'm just like, well, that's a crazy thing to say. No, <laughs> oh, I guess he's just always felt really self-conscious about his mustache yeah. and his shirts. <laughs> uh, oh, but just, yeah, in terms of also the magic bullet, yes, the term and the name of the episode, uh, the, the thing that I most associate that with is JFK's assassination, right? That there's like, well, I mean, they Jasmine also bring that up directly in the episode. That yeah. there was no second gunman. Meaning that, that was there the thing was that he a magic bullet. wanted to know. Meaning that there was a magic bullet, yes? Uh, That's how I, I understand it. Oh, I guess I didn't. I, I took it more as like a literal, like she was just like debunking. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just saying that's. Ha- I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. No, I, that doesn't have like a greater tie to the episode so much as it's just the term. 
Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm saying that, that there the was one. Yes. And then also, I yes. think also Fred shooting her, having the bullet go through her, and then also hit, hit and puncture Angel, I think is also a reference to that. <laughs> I think so, too. And then also a magic bullet being like a perfect cure-all. Yes. You know, so no, it's I mean, working on a lot I of levels. I agree with you. For the first time, maybe ever, they actually chose a good name for the episode. <laughs> yeah, like maybe they didn't need to also name the bookstore that and have her explicitly reference JFK, but like whatever. At least it made sense, so. Well, it made sense if you have like a conspiracy theorist who owns a bookstore naming it the Magic Bullet. It does, That's, yeah. That makes sense. That's fine. Oh, I'm just saying then is the show being too obvious and on the nose. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I would have appreciated the explanation too yeah so yeah anyway because um, also remember like this is a show uh, when it first aired like mostly for like a teen demographic mm, who might not know. know yeah that's true i just i i, I we know we kind of said this but like it really is i think also well done how subtle but also obvious it is how many people are dying in this episode because of jasmine you know, like, it's not she, really, it's she rarely, ate, like, like, six people. Yeah, and it's, like, rarely in the foreground, right? Like, it's never really the thing that's happening on screen. It's just being referred to off screen or, like, gonna ha- Like you were saying with, like, the bookstore guys, it's like, she just doesn't tell him to leave. I think we can safely assume he's dead now. Like, that guy who crashed his car trying to get Fred and then set, got set on fire. Like, oh, that scene in the Hyperion was played for sympathy for Jasmine, but, like, that guy's dead. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just appreciate getting to... I, I just really... I hate... And no every, one's asking about the death toll. Yeah, Like, I nobody's hate, asking, where did those people go? Yeah. I hate Jasmine because of how she came into this show, but I think as a villain, she's very interesting. You know, like, we, I kind of really liked the episode last week, too, where it was, like, just watching this, like, bizarre reaction to her and the way she holds herself, which is, like, all Gina Torres just being so elegant and, like, so magnetic you know it's just like fascinating to then just see all these little crumbles in this episode of like how terrible she really is she's like a benevolent demon yeah you know what's crazy though is that scene where she like we get our first inkling of like what's happening with the people who come up to see her Mm -hmm. and you know we all we see is like this glowy green light and then she comes out and connor's like where are those people and she's just like oh i ate them and he's like cool and it's like yeah. horrifying yeah. <laughs> but also Connor is just like cool like mm-hmm. and that to me is the one I now that I'm thinking about it I'm like maybe that is kind of a false note because everything else about her tracks well enough with everybody that they're just like oh it's totally fine but then usually if they hear about murder or people being eaten that might cause some alarm bells like mm-hmm. they did go and kill all those vampires an episode ago but I, I wonder if that's kind of part of her power like you know when she was first born and um connor and angel instead of being horrified that cordelia was in a coma and right there's this thing standing there just like oh my god yeah but i like how casually she just said it like mm-hmm. oh i ate them i mean i don't know what that means like did she absorb their energy right exactly it's like, like did she literally gnaw on them her mouth <laughs> and like eat them i she doesn't appear to have a mouth so mm-hmm. you know what she looks like she looks like um the scarecrow mask from the yeah, Batman Begins. She does. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, I hate that. Okay. Well, All right. I yeah, I I had a couple minor things with this episode, but like ultimately, yeah, it was like really nice to enjoy Angel again. I just I wish I had been able to also enjoy the Buffy episode with it. Yeah. It would have been nice <laughs> to have like a twofer. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Maybe next week. Yeah. Um, so what do we have next time? Next time we have touched Okay. I only have some vague recollections. And then on Angel, we have Sacrifice. I have no oh, idea what happens in that. No, As usual. <laughs> Could be anything. Do you have any pop culture stuff you want to share? I do. <laughs> uh, so a thing that I did this weekend or over the last couple days is watch. You Are you familiar with the BuzzFeed Try Guys? You must have seen at uh, least something. No, I don't think so. <sighs> okay, well, like, six years ago, they started doing videos where they, would, like, tried on sexy girl Halloween costumes and just, like, laughed about how stupid the ones that they sell are. But then it just turned into this whole thing. So they've had a lot of content for a long time. I think they're sort of vaguely on their own, but still maybe part of BuzzFeed now. But they have, um... The, the conceit is that they're the Try Guys. They just try interesting or 
thing, I don't know, it's weird that you haven't seen it at all. Suffice to say, they're very funny and pretty charming. I, Jenny, the way you are with leggings, I am with <laughs> internet. <laughs> it's just like, okay, right? Like, imagine four adult men trying on sexy lady costumes, like from the, the store, like from the drugstore. But then right. it's like, they try different dance classes and they try different whatever. And, you know, it's all, it's all just played for comedy, whatever. It's it's fine. I haven't watched all of it, but I've seen a lot of it. Anyway, they started a, a newish one, uh, and they just did a season that's called the Try Guys. It's called shit. What's it called? Um, oh, why, why was that the time I decided to curse? Um, <laughs> without a recipe, basically, it's it's a light, lightly, I would say, a parody of the British Bake Off, where like the technical what? challenge, where they try to make a thing that they don't have a recipe for, and then it's all terrible. <laughs> They're bad. They're very bad at it. But do they have the ingredients? They have ingredients. Okay. Uh, but so, yeah, this, this like, season that they did was four episodes. So they made cookies. They made bagels. They made something else, ice cream, and they made birthday cake. I just really, really liked it. They're, like, half an hour long. I was, like, didn't realize how long I had been watching it. But then they just have, like, a panel of judges who just really make fun of most of what they've done. Only one guy is ever kind of good at it. Another guy is like a savant and it's infuriating to watch him put 12 eggs into cake batter <laughs> and then serve it to a human. But I don't know. I think you would like it. It's very funny. And it it but sounds like I would like that so one. It's so infuriating I, I to watch, watch the technical challenges and go, how do they do this? <laughs> but at least in that one, it's like you think they should have some level of expertise in this one. They're obvious about how little they know about what they're doing. And then, you know, when they hand out the judgments there's always some hurt feelings because people think they did like their best and did a nice job and it's horrible. I just really enjoyed it. It's also just like, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have like a simple, it's not like there's, there's some things that they say from episode to episode, but like, there's no arc to follow. It's just a stupid, funny thing that you can watch and like forget about coronavirus. Like, you know what? <laughs> I just want to watch you put 12 eggs in a cake and see what happens. I was telling Ginny earlier that having a respiratory cold the week that you start hearing all the news about coronavirus was super mm -hmm. fun. <laughs> I don't think I have coronavirus, but I was like, whenever I'm like, you know, I have like induced anxiety from taking cold medicine, like it's not going to mix well with like reading the news. Yeah. Um, maybe I should watch that. that I think you would like, like it. A really fun thing to do this afternoon. I think they did. An, I think they've done two seasons, so I've only watched the most recent one. So that's the one I specifically recommend. I assume the other ones are good too, but I haven't watched them. I'm assuming I can just like type. Try, try guys, guys no recipe ba bagel. I'm pretty okay. sure bagel was the, cookies was the first one. Cookies, it was awful to watch. I was like, God, you're doing this all wrong. Cookies are hard. I know, cookies are so easy, guys. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah. But you they know just, what though? Like that's the thing about baking is like, you know, and why people get frustrated with it because you can't, It it is science. It's like the most science- that cooking can be is baking, right? Yes. And so you literally cannot just throw things right. together and expect something to happen. Like sometimes that will be okay. Like generally if you're making pancakes, it doesn't Whatever. Really matter yeah. how you put them together. <laughs> you're going to end up with something, but like cookies and stuff, like there are techniques involved and, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, actually, this the more I'm talking about this, the more I'm like, this is going to be... I should watch you this. You should. Like, and should they do also delightful. a nice job. Every episode has a guest judge who's like a professional in that type of food. And so they give a side-by-side -side on like, here's how you're generally supposed to do it. <laughs> actually had some qualms with the cookie guy, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Cookies are also tough to like say this is the correct way well, to do it. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's they, so many methods. Mm -hmm, and their judgment for what they want in a cookie is very different from what I want in a cookie. So I didn't appreciate that, <laughs> mm -hmm. but whatever. I think there's a lot of personal taste, you know, for sure. Anyway, cookies are divisive. Yeah. I like a thin chewy cookie. I don't like a thick cake like cookie in general. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you have any pop culture? Um, I would, I don't know if I would call this pop culture. <laughs> okay. I just want to mention something that I saw. I, um, so I recently started, um, I broke down and I got a subscription to the Atlantic because mm. I was like running out of my monthly allotment of articles on like day one of mm -hmm. every month. And so I was like, well, it's, you know, it's a decent news source. I'll just, you know, I think their articles are really interesting. Yeah. They do some good um, ones. And I saw one 
on why we should cancel earthworms. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, this seems weird. Like, because I was under the impression earthworms were good. Mm-hmm. And turns out they're not. Interesting. And this article was talking about a specific kind of invasive earthworms from, like, Japan and China that sound disgusting and apparently have invaded New York City, so you could go find them oh. if you want to. Yeah. Um, but really, I brought this up because this whole article's premise was like, actually, earthworms are pretty terrible for any environment in which they proliferate because they just like eat everything in the soil and like remove all the nutrients and like churn it up so that like plants and like understory can't survive. Mm -hmm. And so they make it really easy for like invasive species to take root and also like eliminate a lot of like native um, food for native species. Hmm. All, which all is to say is I have known my whole life that earthworms are untrustworthy and that we should not <laughs> be. Because when I was little, I, I, um, I used to, I lived in, this is when I think when I lived in Korea and it would like rain a lot in the spring and we would, ha- we would walk to preschool with my dad. And if we were walking to school on a morning after it had rained, the sidewalk would be, I'm sure it's not as bad as I remember, but in my mind, the sidewalk was only earthworms. Yeah, so gross. (laughs) I mean, there were just so many. And my sister and I both were just terrified. Mm -hmm. And we would literally, like, climb up my dad's legs. And he, like, had to, like, walk us to school, like, (laughs) one on each leg. Because we, like, refused to put foot on the ground. And, like, I've gotten over that level of fear of them, but I've always felt that earthworms are just the worst. Yeah. And so I read this article, and I was like, I knew it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I felt very vindicated. So the article is called, like, I think it's, like, Earthworms Should Be Canceled or something. And I was like, amen. That's really funny. (laughs) So it's an interesting article on, like, invasive species and, like, you know, some of the unknown culprits of, like, climate change Mm -hmm. and um, where things are going. So beyond just my personal vendetta, I felt this (laughs) interesting. (laughs) Okay. um, So... What team are you on? Oh, mm, okay. I mean, I think Team Fred. Yeah, I. that is my first choice. I'm actually going to be Team Faith. Oh, Because okay. she was my other standout this week. In a horrible episode, she was the only person making sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Eliza Dushku did a nice job. And I think it made sense she to did. take the I... potentials to the, to the bronze. I think that was, like, a good idea. I mean, she shouldn't have let them be drinking, but, like, whatever. Well, she she did try to stop she it. She did. Like, she took, that, she took the one she drink did. away she from did. the girl. Faith has grown a, late, a lot. But... <laughs> <laughs> took her a little while to do that, but, yeah. yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. I mean, I, I was like, I don't know if I can pick anybody from Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so next time we have um, Touched and Sacrifice. sacrifice. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you next time. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.